0: Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. God, we thank you so much for uh, your son and for this time that we have together. Um, I pray that you will speak to us through your word and that we will have ears to hear. God, I pray that uh, this will be a time that we can can experience you in new and fresh ways as we encounter you through your spirit uh, today. Um, God, we ask that you will eliminate the distractions and eliminate Uh, The things that are are heavy on our hearts, things that are racing around in our heads, uh, things that are ringing in our pockets, um, and uh, that you will just help us to hear you clearly now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it was around uh, 1439 when uh, Gutenberg invented the printing press and uh, it, was, it was revolutionary. It was an opportunity for words to be printed on the page and distributed to others so that others can, can consume that information. I don't think he would have ever imagined the day when we would have an inkjet printer in our house with the ability to print whatever we wanted, in any font that we wanted, in any language that we wanted, and in any color that we wanted. Uh, It would have just blown his mind that we would have been able to do such a thing in our own homes, even though it cost us an arm and a leg for those ink cartridges. And now there is a, a new technology that is even more sophisticated, this 3D printing, where plastics and metals and other materials can be printed into some sort of 3D object. So, need a new mug? Just print one. Need a new plate? Just print one. Uh, this, I, I'm still, yeah, it, 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 I, I am old, I feel like, when I think about the technology of 3D printing, and I'm like, what? Is this even possible? Now, there's even a device that will do 3D printing of food items, where you can actually have edible creations that are printed in 3D. So there is this device called the Fudini that will allow you to print three-dimensional edible objects. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're like Gutenberg and like, really? You're going to have a day when you can print food in your own home? It sounds a little Star Trek Jetson kind of ability where where you have this box and you pull out whatever meal that you want. So, So you're hungry and you're craving something, just press print. You need some food, press print. You need a cake decorated, press print. This just sounds like a great technology. We all need one of these on the counter in our kitchen, don't we? Maybe. I don't know. It's a thousand bucks, so it may take a while. The technology has a bit to be developed. But if there was anybody that could use a 3D printer that would print food items, it was Jesus in John chapter 6. Because he has this situation where there are masses of people that are hungry, and he needs a way to duplicate food quickly. And so a 3D printer would have come in very handy. But Jesus is Jesus, and so. He doesn't have to worry about that. He can make it happen regardless. He doesn't need some special technology for that. So today we're going to look at John chapter 6, and believe it or not, we're going to look at all of John chapter 6, all 71 verses of it, because... In true fashion, John writes in a way where you cannot isolate individual stories. You have to have um, the entire picture to be able to understand what's going on. So in John chapter 6, we have the narrative of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We also have the narrative of Jesus walking on water. And we have this long discourse where Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And you have to look at all of those pieces together to be able to get the full picture of what's happening and what's going on in John chapter 6. So we're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning as we go through here. We're not going to read all of it, but we are going to read most of it and pull out um, some highlights for us as we look at the themes of what John is trying to communicate with us here in this. Let's start in John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. That was in the last chapter, chapter 5, that we we, we skipped over. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So John does not give us details in stories for no reason. He tells us things very intentionally, and so he says here they're on a mountain. He's with his disciples. The crowd is coming and pursuing him, but it's Passover time. Now, when the Jews are thinking of Passover time, there are all these stories and all of these motifs that they are being, that, that come to mind that they're thinking of as, as they think of Passover time. They're thinking of the story in Exodus, where, where the, the, the Israelites are freed from slavery in Egypt. And when they're freed from slavery, they cross through the water to get to their freedom— And it's in the crossing of the water that they find this new place, and they enter into the wilderness. And God provides for them in the wilderness through manna, through bread that comes from heaven. And so there are these connections between the stories that we're reading here with Passover, where we have the story of the Israelites going through water, to get to the wilderness. God provides for them. Moses is the representative of God who is bringing the manna. And what do the people do when they are given the manna? They complain and they grumble because it's not tasty enough. It's getting dull. It's getting boring. We want something else to eat. We're not satisfied with what we're being given. We want something more. And so Jesus comes in to the story here as a replacement for Moses. Jesus is the hero of the story now. Jesus is the one who is providing the bread. So keep that in mind as we go through. This is what John wants you to be thinking about as we enter into this story. Verse 5, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And so when Jesus asks a question in John, he's not really asking a question. He's really testing to see if the people are paying attention, to see what kind of response they will give. Will they give a physical response, like Nicodemus, or will they give a spiritual response, a spiritual understanding of what's going on? And so Jesus asks this this question, here come these 5,000 people after us, how are we going to feed them? Jesus wants to feed them. He sees that there's a need there, that they're hungry and they need to be fed, and so he asks his disciples this question, testing question, how are we going to feed all of these people? And in typical fashion, they come back with a very physical response. One of them responds with, yeah, it's just impossible, don't even try. And the other one responds with, well, we've got these five little loaves and, and two fish, maybe we can do something with them? Both of them are pretty hopeless in the answer that they have because they're focusing on a physical answer to the question. Now, the people are fed. We're just going to kind of fly through some of this narrative here. Jesus engages in this physical level, and he goes ahead and feeds the people anyway. He's talking about spiritual things, but he's going to provide for their physical needs first. And so he feeds them. He takes the bread, he takes the resources that he has, he breaks the bread, he gives thanks for the bread, and he's the one who feeds the people the food. And after the people are fed, there is an abundance left over. There are 12 baskets full of leftovers. Plenty of food is available and now this makes a huge impression on the people they they see this they they see that there is food being supplied and and barley loaves were a bread that was for very poor people and so the fact that the kid had barley loaves, shows the poverty of the people. The people are hungry. They didn't think to bring their own lunch, and they are not packing their own supplies. And so these are people who are desperate for physical nourishment. And so Jesus comes in and provides this physical nourishment, which is an incredible response. And they're impressed by this. This is an incredible sign. He must be a prophet because he's providing for our physical needs. Now, if we have a prophet who can provide for all of our physical needs, who better to make king? Are economic issues ever at play whenever we're choosing a new king or a new president or somebody to rule for us? We want someone who's going to provide for our physical needs. Jesus can provide for these physical needs in some pretty impressive ways. So let's make him king so that we can be freed from the oppression of the Romans because we'll have everything we need. They can't control us anymore. So let's make him king by force. And so the people want to make him king by force. Jesus knows what they're trying to do, and so he retreats to the mountain, and goes to spend some time by himself. In the meantime, his disciples, in the next episode, they cross over the water, they cross the lake to get to the other side of the lake. See the connections with the Passover story there? They cross over the lake, and they're caught in a storm. Things are not going well for them, and once again, somebody needs to provide for their physical care Because death is imminent as they fight this storm out on the lake. And Jesus walks out on the water and gets into the boat and the storm is calm and they land on the other side. Now, all the people who were after Jesus to make him king, who want him to, to rule so that they are free from the oppression that they have, they, too, go across the lake, and they go to the other side, knowing that it was only the disciples who went. They get to the other side, and they see Jesus there, and they're surprised to find him there, but they're in pursuit of him. Jesus says in verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Basically, you liked what you ate and you want more of it, and that's why you're pursuing me. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal, eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, what must we do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Now we're talking about belief again. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Now, these are people who had seen Jesus heals people from, the, from sick, the sick and also provide food for them, and they're after him because of these signs, and they're saying, again, what sign will you give us to show who you are? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying Moses had this ability to to feed the people manna, what sign are you going to show us? These are the same people who just got fed. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, So God's bread is the bread that comes from heaven, and this is the bread that gives life. And then he makes this claim in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus says the bread comes from heaven. And not only does the bread come from heaven, but I am that bread. This is the bread that will bring life. This is the bread that will satisfy In verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So the manna wasn't enough for the Israelites in the wilderness, and the bread is not enough for the people here either. They begin to grumble, and they begin to complain about what it is that Jesus is providing for them. And so they want something different from Jesus. They have their physical expectations of who Jesus is and what he should be providing for, him, for them, and they aren't happy with that. So Jesus calls them out on their grumbling, and he reminds them again of who he is and where he comes from. I am the bread of life. I'm the one who comes from the Father. And in verse 46, he goes into more detail. No one has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Jesus is the only one who's seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so Jesus is the bread that comes from heaven. And not only is he the bread that comes from heaven, but you are to consume him, you are to eat him. And so this sends the people into a place of discouragement, a place of confusion. They don't understand what's going on. They're operating at this physical level, and Jesus is operating at the spiritual level. In the same way that Nicodemus could not even consider how someone could be born again, the people are here confused and not sure what's going on. And Jesus then takes it even further in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now Jesus just goes to a completely different place. Jesus is suggesting cannibalism here, where we are eating his flesh and we're drinking his blood. What in the world is he talking about? And now that we know the entire story, we see that Jesus is talking about his death, a death on a cross. But the people don't understand what's going on here. They're at that physical level. Jesus reminds them that in verse 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of Spirit and life. If you want life, you have to consume Jesus. And this is something that is operating in a spiritual world that cannot be seen in the physical forms of bread, but is something that is seen through the Spirit. And this is too much for many of them to handle. And at this point, people become discouraged. They're they're not getting the king that they had hoped for. They're not getting what they had expected from this encounter with Jesus. And so they turn their back on him and they leave. They walk away saying, This is too weird. This is too much. And so they walk away. And they're disappointed and they're confused. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and says, are you going to do the same thing? Are you going to leave? Are you going to continue to follow? And Peter gives this incredible response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so we go through this episode here where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He crosses over the water to encounter the people and then talks about what he has really come to do, who he really is. That the people are pursuing life in what they think gives life, but they're pursuing the wrong things. They'll end up hungry. They'll end up grumbling. They'll end up discouraged because Jesus is the source of life. And so as we go through these narratives and we go through these discussions, there's four themes that really emerge through here as we think about what this means for us. The first one is the pursuit of bread. The people are hungry. They could smell the bread. They could taste the bread. They want that physical nourishment. I really want to eat this bread right now. There's a pursuit of bread. And there's a legitimate need to that, right? Like, we are hungry. We need to eat. And so we have physical needs that need to be met. We have things that we truly need to sustain life, things for our survival. We need nourishment. We need bread and water. There are things that we need in our lives. But the pursuit of bread gets complicated when we are in a culture that is about consuming more. We want more. We need more. And the definition of need begins to erode away where we don't even know what need means anymore. Like, do we really need that thing? Do we need that car? Do we need that house? Do we need that job? Do we need that? And so in the pursuit of bread, in the pursuit of things that are legitimately needed, we lose sight of what real need is. Because we have a culture that says, consume more. It's a materialistic culture that says buy more, spend more, consume more, have more, own more. And so we define need in a way that goes beyond what need really is. These are things that we think will satisfy, but they won't. The people thought that the bread would satisfy, but it didn't. The 5,000, they had a need and Jesus provided for that need and they were overwhelmed by that experience and they wanted even more. But they lost sight of what their real need was. They were pursuing the wrong things. Maybe they were pursuing political power. Maybe they were pursuing wealth. Maybe they were pursuing things that would help satisfy them. But they weren't pursuing God. And so a question for you this morning. What bread are you pursuing? What are the things that you are pursuing to satisfy a hunger within you that will not give the satisfaction that you really desire? It could be a pursuit of food. It could be a pursuit of sex. It could be a pursuit of wealth. It could be a pursuit of materialistic things. What are the things that you are hungry for that are not the things that God has given to you to consume? Things that may be good in and of themselves. Bread can be good, but if I eat all of that bread, that is not good. There could be things that are good that we consume, but we're consuming too much of it. It could be social media, it could be entertainment, it could be recreation, it could be relationships, it could be a lot of different things where we are pursuing that bread thinking it will satisfy a hunger in us and it won't. What bread are you pursuing? A second theme that we see here is a religious pursuit of bread. Now, this is an interesting one, where the people see Jesus as a prophet because of the signs that, they, that he has brought, and they pursue him, and they take him and want him to be their king. And so there is this mix of religious and political, this mix of two different worlds where they they see the religious value of Jesus, they see him providing a good thing, but they take it and they manipulate it for their own gain, for their own agenda, for their own desires. And so there are many people, and, and most of us would fall into this category, where we realize that material things are not where happiness is found. At least cognitively we think that, we may not behave that way. But, but in our heads, we know that the material things in this world are not the things that are going to provide happiness. And so we pursue other things. For many of us, we pursue religious things to provide for that happiness because we know the happiness is not found in the bread. The happiness is found in God, and so we pursue religious things. But what happens is there is a very slight variance of that where we start pursuing religion instead of pursuing God. And so our attendance at church what we do in our quiet time, the things that we do that are religious become the focus in and of themselves, and we stop focusing on God. We easily become distracted by the busyness of church and the activity of church and the things that are good, but we lose sight of God. We pursue religious bread. And so we're tempted to make Jesus serve our religious agendas. And in in this regard, the the religious agenda becomes more important than Jesus himself. The emphasis becomes more on the practices and the form than on Jesus. The church has many forms and many traditions that are designed to nurture us and feed us, but, but too often they become the focus. Too often, we focus on those as an end instead of a means to get us into an encounter with God. And in the pursuit of religion instead of the pursuit of God, God's voice becomes silenced. We're no longer hearing him. And so another question is, what religious bread are you pursuing? What Spiritual practices or or what religious practices have taken your attention away from Jesus and onto the practices themselves? Is church about church or is church about God? Is our faith about who He is or is it about something that we're comfortable with? Is it about our agenda? Is it about our tradition? Is it about what we think religion should be? These 5,000 people, they thought Jesus should be king. They thought that he should have political power. They thought that he should free them from the Roman oppression that they were a part of. And Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. And many of them were discouraged. A third theme is being fed by God. It's not the pursuit of physical bread. It's not even the pursuit of religious bread. It is about being fed by God. Jesus describes what, uh, as Jesus describes what they have experienced in the feeding of the 5,000, he shifts, he shifts their focus from this physical form of bread to the spiritual. It isn't about the physical bread. That's not what the story is about. It's not about the feeding of the 5,000 for the, the physical consumption, it's about the spiritual consumption. It's about the spiritual bread. And not only is it a spiritual bread that is brought from heaven, it is Jesus himself that is the bread. And that bread, to be life-giving, has to be consumed. If we want life, we have to eat the bread from heaven. We have to consume Jesus. And so what gives life? What gives us life? How are we fed by God? This is what Jesus is addressing here. But John doesn't give us any simplistic answers, much to our disappointments, much to our frustration. It's still this very abstract thing that he's talking about because as we simplify the answers, we come up with very practical ways to implement this, and then we have religious forms instead of a pursuit of God. And so when we oversimplify what it means to be fed by God, we lose our focus on God and shift our focus on to practices. But we're to pursue God. We consume God. We're in relationship with God. All of John is pointing to who God is and how we enter into a relationship with him through Jesus. This last part of John 6 talks in pretty explicit terms about the eating of flesh and the drinking of blood. What does that mean? Jesus reminds us that it's the Spirit that gives life. That it's this spiritual experience with God, this consumption of Jesus, this connection with Jesus that connects us with the Spirit, and that's where life is. And as we read through this story, the imagery very much points to our experience with the Lord's Supper. As we think about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood, we're reminded of the communion table. We're reminded of this time that we have together, a time that we celebrate every Sunday. John doesn't give us a Lord's Supper story like the other Gospels do. As we get further on into John, we're going to go through the passion narrative and and through the story of of Jesus, and there's no Lord's Supper story there. This is the Lord's Supper story that John includes. In John chapter 6, we're not even halfway through yet, and he's already giving us this beautiful picture of what it means to celebrate in this Lord's Supper together. To consume Jesus' flesh, his body, the bread of life. To drink of his blood that is sacrificed for us. Jesus is giving himself to us. He gives himself as the bread of life, knowing that to give himself to us means that we will consume him. It means that he will die for us, that there has to be a sacrifice. The story is not just about loaves and fish. He is freely laying down his life for us, freely giving himself to us, giving us a new source of life, and giving us a connection to the Spirit. The people had tried to make him king. They had tried to fit him into the mold that they expected, but Jesus does not come and accept that kingship. Instead, he offers himself and gives his life to us. Gives his life for us, and so the Lord's Supper can become one of those religious practices, one of those religious forms that we pursue as an end in and of themselves. We we come and gather together every Sunday, and in our fellowship, that means we're going to have communion together each Sunday. And it can become one of those practices that that we focus on the practice in and of itself and we forget the life that is coming from the consumption of Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. That as we take that bread and as we take that cup each and every week, we are given life, we are given nourishment that cannot be found in any kind of physical thing. that there is no pursuit of any bread, religious or not, that will feed us the way Jesus will feed us. And that is what we consume each and every Sunday together. This is where real life is found, in the taking of Jesus' flesh, in the taking of Jesus' blood, This is where we encounter the Spirit in ways that we've never experienced before. And life is found. But there's a fourth theme that shows up. And this is the theme of rebellion. Because not everybody says this is a good teaching. Not everybody says this is easy to follow. Actually, none of them say it's easy to follow. But because it's not easy to follow, they turn their back on him. There's people's responses to this that says this is too hard. They say this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus is the bread that comes from heaven, and we're to consume that bread, and that's where life comes from? The people who have been pursuing the wrong bread, they get this story from jesus and they they get this teaching from him and they say this is too much this is not what we signed up for this does not fit our framework this does not fit our tradition this does not fit our expectation of who god is and what he's supposed to be doing for me and instead of them pursuing jesus they turn their back on him and go the other way Jesus is trying to lead them to life. He's trying to provide for them, but they have their own way. And so they leave the way. They leave the truth. They leave the life and pursue their own way and their own truth and their own life. They find their own ways to provide for those things. But there are those who stay. There are those who pursue Jesus. There are those who, like Peter, confess, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I want to leave that line up there on the screen for a bit. And I want you to look at that. As we think about what bread are we pursuing, as we think about what religious bread that we're pursuing, and as we think about how are we rebellious, against what Jesus is calling us to. Feed on God. Will you be fed by him or will you be fed by something else? And so I'd like for you to go ahead and be standing and we're going to spend some time eating. And this would be much, much A much better application if we could go into the gym and spend the next hour or two together in a big feast, in celebration together. That doesn't quite fit our framework for this morning. But we will do that uh, the Sunday before Easter as we meet in the gym again for a a time of extended communion with each other. But for now, we just want to spend some time at the table. Because Jesus offers up this incredible gift to us. He says, here is my life. Here is my flesh. Here is my blood. And if you want life, you will consume this. And so we're going to spend some time consuming it. We've got four tables set up in in the back there. We've got this table here that is available as well. And we're just going to spend some time at the table communion's open to anybody there was no membership roster for those 5000 who said you could or could not consume of what Jesus had to offer so it's available for everyone and so i want to encourage you to move to one of those tables and as you consume of Jesus you are are thinking about what are the breads that you have been pursuing that are not the correct breads And as you consume that bread and you consume that juice, you think of Jesus and the life that he gives to you. That life will only be found in him. And the things that you're pursuing, the things that that are not of him are distractions and they're taking life from you. There are lots of things that we spend our time on and spend our resources on that suck the life out of us. And so confess those things and spend some time eating. This is something that you can do as a family. It's something you can do as a small group. It's something that you can do as an individual, whatever you're comfortable with. But we're just going to have a time of silence, move to one of those tables you've led, and then after, it looks like most everybody's gotten back to their seats, the the team is going to lead us in another song. But Jesus has this great imagery here. For he is the one in this story in John. He is the one who gives thanks. He breaks that bread and takes that bread, and he's the one who distributes that bread. It's not the disciples who pass it out in in John's story. Jesus is giving himself to you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and your life. We thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross, his sacrifice for us, his willing gift to us, that we could have life. And so, God, as we take these emblems, as we, as we take this bread and as we take this cup, I pray that we will be reminded of the life that we have in you and that we will turn our backs to the false things that we turn to as we pursue you with all that we have. God, where should we go? We know that you have the words of eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.